Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. I mean, beverages, watching a big game, it can't get any better. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle code 25SHUFFLE. On the eve of the NFL draft, we get some monster news. We'll talk about Gronk in just a second, but also some players who could be traded with the draft taking place starting tomorrow. In addition to that, we'll also respond to Boomer Esiason's criticism of Mike and the GM Shuffle, plus that Homeland review you've been waiting for. But first and foremost, Mike, Gronk, are you kidding me? Out of retirement and now reunited with Tom Brady, straight out of a movie. Best friends back together or something like that. Bottom line is this. The Patriots sending Gronk and a seventh-round pick to the Bucks in return New England gets a fourth-round pick from Tampa. We'll get into what Gronk has left in the tank, what this means to the team. But first and foremost, for all those saying, wait, I thought Gronk was retired. How does this work? Well, the two teams had to work out the trade because the tight end had one year remaining on his contract when he called it quits following the 2018 season. Since he didn't play in 2019, that meant the Patriots still had him under contract for one more year. And one reason the Pats were open to the deal is this. Gronk didn't want to play with them. He wants to play with Brady. They only had $2.1 million in salary cap space. That's a big issue. Gronk coming out of retirement, $12 million cap hit. So that's my first question to you is this. People are going, hang on a second. He's one of the greatest tight ends ever, and that's all you could get for him. But really, it makes sense from New England's perspective because what else were you going to get for him? I mean, it was like picking up loose change. I mean, seriously, that he was not going to play for them. And I don't think that this is not – about Bill and Gronk not getting along. I think there's a point where the players kind of get tired of having to be within the culture and doing the things, and I think Gronk's body was tired. It clearly indicated when you look at the from 2016, 17, and 18, you look at the last three years of his career, I mean, his production had gone way down. His numbers, you know, had gone down, you know, not so much in 17, but in 16 and 18. 16, he was hurt. 18 he was hurt as well so you know it's one of those things where I think his body was beat up now he's kind of chance to get himself refreshed revigorated we'll see what he can do when he goes down to Tampa I mean for the Patriots it, it was like picking up an extra fourth round pick 
Right, because he wasn't going to come there anyway. So that's the New England perspective of it. Now for Gronk, which you mentioned, his numbers had been declining. I read Bill Barnwell's piece, uh, ESPN.com, saying that Belichick was going to trade him for the 2018 season. He knew Gronk wasn't the same player he was. He was going to trade him to Detroit for a first-round pick. The ended up getting scuttled. But hey, let, let, me, let me pour cold water before we can get excited about Gronk. The guy misses, Mike, an average of four games a season over the last seven years, and he is coming off a year of inactivity. He has had three back surgeries and was considering a fourth back surgery in 2018. So to expect, like at best case here, he plays 12 games. That's best case, Mike. Otherwise, you could be playing eight to ten games, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's more about eight games. I, I, I mean, look, I think Bill understood that at the end of the year, when, when you go back and look at the 18 season and really study Gronk, I was on WEEI earlier in the year, and I, and I made a comment about how I thought Gronk had no legs, how he had no juice in his body. And, of course, they gave me a wrath of shit on it. And, you know, and then by the end of the year, everybody was saying, well, Gronk's not the same player. I mean, the beginning of the year, Eric Berry covered him one-on-one like it was no problem. And, you know, he's a big man. He's physical. He'll win jump ball situations. But what made him special was his power and his explosion from his lower body that was hard to deal with. And he didn't have that in 18. And part of 18, I think part of the struggle and why he's been so kind of close to the situation with Tom is that he really kind of got into the Alec mode. He really got into the stretching and the flexibility and all that. And that's great for Tom who plays quarterback, but at some point Gronk has to have a lower body with some power and you've got to lift some weights and you've got to be able to do that. And I think there was a little bit of a disconnect in terms of the training. And I think that's reflective in the 18 play. So, you know, everybody hears the name Gronk and they hear Brady and they say, Oh my God, this is, you know, put him in the Super Bowl right away. Well, you know, look, you miss a year of football. You have not played 16 games consistently since 2011 right? You've missed a year. You haven't trained. You, you look great, but you don't look like you're a football player. You look like you're a power forward in basketball. I think there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. What shocked me the most, AD, was the fact that Tampa takes him and gives him the $10 million, like it's no big deal. Instead of saying, hey, look, Gronk, we'll give you $10 million. No problem. Pay you $10 million. But we're going to do it on a game-to-game -game basis. If you dress for 12 games, you're going to get seven million if you dress for 16 games you'll get the 10 you know protect yourself like you owe it to the franchise to protect the franchise they're acting like fans in tampa couldn't agree more and i think you're right about gronk being in shape like he looks great but you're right power forward he doesn't look physically he doesn't look muscular he doesn't look like a guy who's ready to take the bruising of a 16 game nfl season and they said he's hitting the weights he's gonna have to put on i don't know 10 15 20 pounds of muscle to get back to where he was again that stress that it puts in your body after a year of not playing and listen he can be effective beyond being a pass catcher right if you look at the numbers if he can just be a great blocking tight end which don't forget that's what tight ends should be if all of a sudden they have like a two tight end set and they can do what the 49ers did a season ago that's a real help to tom brady in the Buccaneers forget about his pass catching abilities having said that what happens with the other tight end what happens to OJ Howard now well you know they've tried to trade so I think when you look at this trade and this is one of the great things you learned from Al Davis was he always wanted to see the other side you know the non-obvious what are they saying in this trade and we know we know this for fact this is not I'm making this up they tried to trade OJ Howard at the trading deadline last year they wanted a second round pick they couldn't get it they're trying to trade O.J. Howard through the offseason, right? They've got Cameron Brait, who really is their starting tight end. I mean, Cameron Brait had four touchdown passes, 36 receptions last year. You know, not great down the field, just barely 8.6 a catch. 
But Howard, you know, he had 34 catches, just one touchdown. Howard's the guy that they need to move on from. It's only it's going to be Brait and Gronk, not Gronk and Howard. And I think that they'll try to move Howard. Now, here's what I think you learn in the trade. If the Patriots would have wanted Howard, they could have easily said to Tampa, look, instead of the fourth, put Howard in the deal. And they didn't. They took the fourth. So they rather have a fourth than Howard. So that tells you, just looking at it superficially, that the Patriots value the fourth more than they value Howard. Now, someone could say, well, maybe the Bucks wouldn't put Howard in the deal. Seriously? Like, okay, you're not going to put him in the deal? You, how many tight? You can't play the three of them. You know, if you play the three of them, that means Godwin and, and Evans, they're on the bench next to you. So where's the playtime? So clearly, you know, the Patriots made a decision. They would move away. They, they would rather have a fourth than Howard. And the ultimate question of how much closer does this make the Buccaneers a contender? Well, look at the Vegas lines, right? They literally, Gronk's addition is only worth a half a win. They're going to go from a nine-win team to a nine-and-a-half-win team. They went from 17-to-1 favorites when the Super Bowl to 14-to-1. So I get the fact, Mike, people think it's such a cool thing that Gronk is back with Brady and all the rest of it, but I think the guys in the desert, as usual, smarter than everybody else. Is it a nice addition? Sure, but he's got to stay healthy, and right now it, it could only be an incremental impact. It's not going to be the seismic shift that Tampa Bay fans may be thinking about this morning. No, and I think they've got a lot of work to do on defense, right? So, you know, last year they were horrendous on defense in the red zone. They couldn't stop teams in the red zone. They couldn't stop teams from really throwing the football. I think Todd Bowles did a tremendous job of working with what he had, you know, and obviously they were 28th in the National Football League in turnover differential because of Jameis giving the ball up. But when you really break this team down and understand where they are defensively and how teams were able to attack them, you know, the possessions that they had, I mean – this Buck team defensively, you know, was not very good. And I think that ultimately that's going to be where they need to improve in the draft. And when you look at where they are draft-wise, you know, they're going to have to find a way to fix that defense. And, you know, they have holes at offensive tackle. They still need a running back that can catch the ball in the backfield, right? They need that. I mean, Bruce Arians has been been on record as saying we love to have a pass catching back. Obviously, more depth in the secondary. Those are the two pieces that he's talking about. But they need to improve their pass defense, no denying it. And they need to get the same kind of season that they got out of Shaq Barrett last year. Can he duplicate that? I think there's a lot of questions for the Bucks. I think they're going to be the Cleveland Browns of this season in the sense that everybody's going to talk about them as if they are the perennial favorite to go to the Super Bowl. But you're asking a lot for guys that have to play at their highest level as they get older. Couldn't agree more. It'll be an interesting story, but I don't know if it's going to be a successful story, especially with people in Florida think it may be. You listen to the GM Shuffle for two reasons. One, our opinions. We just gave you those. And information. This is the stuff you're getting from Michael Lombardi. You can always check his Twitter, MLombardiNFL. You tweeted out the following, Mike. The draft is literally Thursday night, and these are the following players now up to be traded. Uh, I'm going to give you the list, and then by all means, you go into which one you want to go into. Malik Hooker, safety with the Colts. P.J. Hall, the defensive tackle with the Raiders. Razul Douglas. Douglas, the Eagles corner, Adam Sheehan, tight end with the Bears, D Ford, defensive one of the Niners, Quan Alexander, linebacker of the Niners, and Marquise Goodwin, wide receiver of the Niners, and Shaquise Tart, the safety of the Niners. So four potential Niners could be on the move. Over-under for these guys to get dealt, or maybe a better way of phrasing it to you, which one's the most likely to be dealt in your estimation? 
Well, I think it's going to be hard to trade D Ford and Quan Alexander because of their contracts. I think the 49ers are in the mindset that they have to kind of get their cap under control. I mean, next year, the three highest paid players on the 49ers will be Jimmy Garoppolo, D Ford, and Quan Alexander. And they know they have to sign some of these young, talented players. I think what fans don't always look into is like, let's take the Los Angeles Chargers. In 2021, they're going to have to sign, you know, some really good players. Hunter Henry, Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram to extensions. You know, so what they do this year matters. The Patriots, on the other hand, they're going to have $100 million of cap room in 2021. You know, so they have a chance, even though they have a hugely tight cap right now, they have an opportunity to really extend it out and build the team but I think when you look at this list let's just start with Malik Hooker I think the Colts have been disappointed with his play he's been injured I think that they know they need to get better at, at safety I think Hooker probably would be better off at another venue he was a talented kid coming out of Ohio State but he hasn't lived up to that potential at all for the Colts and sometimes I think a change of scenery can really help I, I think oftentimes when kids are, are highly recruited and they kind of come in, they kind of don't take it as seriously as perhaps they should, and I think they get woken up. You know, P.J. Hall's a guy that the Raiders have talked about trading, along with Gabe Jackson, their offensive guard. I didn't put him on the list. You know, the Eagles want to move Rashad Douglas. They're going to try to get a corner in this draft. I think they're going to try to get a linebacker. They've talked about trading Alshon Jeffrey, but he's got a guaranteed deal. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you trade Jeffrey, who's a jump ball receiver, who's really a good player, but he's never really open. He always is in a crowd, and I think that that's a problem, you know, especially if it's not the right scheme that fits him. Like I mentioned, I think the Niners are definitely in trying to get into that. We know Trent Williams is still available from the from the Redskins. They want a first-round pick. I think that's a challenge to do that, especially in light of how good this draft is in terms of offensive linemen. Trent Williams is better than any of these guys in the draft, except he's older. And he wants a ton more money. So, again, money plays into all these decisions when you look at it. And, you know, like Leonard Fournette, I think there's no doubt, you know, they would love to move on Leonard Fournette. But who wants Leonard Fournette at what price? you got to pick up the salary. You've got some character in terms of work ethic. How hard is he going to work? What's he going to do? And how do you have to fit him into your offense? It's a challenge. And I think there's a lot of guys. I think you're seeing that. Hassan Riddick's another guy for the Arizona Cardinals that they would gladly move on from. He's been disappointing for them and I think that they would like to make a move because they know they need to improve their defense and he was on their defense last year and it was really not very good he doesn't fit for what they do so I I think there's going to be a lot of activity AD there's a lot of players out there that are available for trade and it's going to come down to you know what team wants to absorb the contract we did our zone uh, mock draft and the one that James Scully and our friends put together, everyone's got Burrow and Chase Young going one, two, but we had it that the Lions trade their pick at three to the Chargers and the Chargers would then take Tua. And again, we discussed it on Monday, Mike, Detroit's a really interesting team right now when you look at this top 10 as to what they could do. Because if they move down and whoever moves up, that could create some, some repercussions elsewhere. Yeah, you know, and I think the hottest guy in this draft right now is C.J. Henderson. I think people like him. And even though Okuda is rumored to go at three, I think there's a lot of people that I've talked to in the league that like C.J. Henderson even more than Okuda, which, you know, you won't hear that on the pundits, but that's really what's going on in the league. I think there's two players that probably have differentiating opinions from the media, 
well, three players actually, from the media to the what the people that are actually doing this for a living think. I think Okita has a lot of people that love him, but he also has people that think Henderson's better. So that's one. Two, Isaiah Simmons is a very polarizing player. A lot of people think, you know, he's great speed. He's a box safety. He's not really a linebacker. I talked to a team yesterday that's picking in the 20s. They think he's great. They would love to get him, but they have some conflict within their organization in terms of how much they love him. He's not going to make it to them. He's a hard fit for most defense defensive coordinators he's got stiff straight line speed challenging to fit him in where does he play and then there's Tua you know Tua's because of the medical you know no one talks about this whatsoever you know Tua's never run a 40 so you don't know how fast he is and what's he doing and I think when you break this down you know what people don't realize is there's grading systems involved with every team and teams that utilize the grading systems especially when it comes to size and speed Tua becomes a very hard player to draft early. And here's why. If you tag players, most people in the draft in their grading system, at least one we, we started in Cleveland and Bill still uses in New England to this day, is it was lettered. So if a player was a medical concern, he got an X. If a player lacked the size or speed, he got an S. And if a player was slow for the position – you know, if he didn't have the speed, you know, he also got tagged another level. So, or if he was undersized for the position as well. So, like, let's just take Tua. In the New England grading system, the highest grade Tua could possibly get would be a 62. And he would have an X, which would be the medical. He would have an S, which would be speed, because they don't know what his speed is. And then he would have a, a U, which would mean he'd be undersized. So those three letters, anytime you have two or more letters, the highest grade you can get is a 62. So for somebody to trade up to get them, they're probably not using a grading system. They're just taking a player. Most teams that use it would have too many letters on them. That's interesting. I want to comment on a couple of the guys you mentioned because I think the Giants could select Simmons, and you mentioned the fact he's polarizing. The reason people like him, though, is that versatility. 200 or more snaps at corner, 100-plus at inside-slash-outside linebacker, and 71 as a pass rusher, and 17 as a perimeter corner last season. So you know those Giants fans are going to say, well, listen, he can do a lot of different things. We need help in a lot of areas. And as for Okuda, the reason why you mentioned the fact the Lions could get him, they already traded their all-pro Darius Slater, the Eagles, and Okuda would be the fifth cornerback the last five years from Ohio State to go in the first round, following the likes of Denzel Ward and Marshawn Lattimore. And we're going to discuss this more as far as teams, mistakes teams make. But you know as well as I do, Mike, sometimes people get blown away by the whole Ohio State. Oh, he's got pedigree. He's from a certain school. And that, that isn't always the right way to approach these things. No, it's not. And I, and I think when you look at certain picks, like let's say when you just look at first-round picks – Everybody looks at the corner position as an easy position to evaluate in the draft. And I think the opposite. There's been 28 first-round corners picked since 2013. And 16 of them today are no longer with their current team. 16. It's a huge margin of error. Now, look, Marcus Peters, really good player. He's on his third team, right? Kevin Johnson, the Houston Texan first-round pick, he's on his third team. I mean, Trey Waynes, DJ Hayden, Kyle Fuller. I mean, they've all been moved around, you know, so it's hard. I mean, Jalen Ramsey's on his second team. Good player, but obviously there comes some situations that go with it. So, And of the 28, Demarius Randall, who's not a corner, but he was listed in the draft as a corner, so he counts in this 28. But it's a great margin for error, and I think that, to me, if I'm Detroit – 
I don't understand how Detroit can think a corner is going to make their team better when they can't create negative plays with their defensive front or can they get any pressure on a passer. Like, I don't care what you have in your secondary. You can't cover long enough if the pass rush can't get there. We'll see what happens when it comes to the Lions. At the break, Mike will discuss the four biggest mistakes an organization can make when evaluating talent before the draft. He'll explain next. All right, this is the best time of the year for any sports fan. The college basketball tournament is coming up. Who could get enough hoops? And I'm rooting for Arizona this year. I'm a West Coast guy. I want to see a West Coast team win it. Hasn't been done since 1997. Hopefully the Wildcats can get it done. But regardless of who makes it to the final game in the tourney, one thing's for certain. It takes the most talented people working together to help these teams play at this level. And if you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. And right now, our friends over at ZipRecruiter can help you do that. ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. You can try it out, no cost whatsoever. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for your position. Once you review your list of the most qualified candidates, you can easily invite your top choices to apply so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash shuffle. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. As always, you can read Mike's work in The Athletic. And from the GM's eye, lessons teams should learn from past drafts. You took a look, Mike, specifically at mistakes teams make. Let's start first with false labeling. And the example you used in your article is Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Of course, Lamar Jackson coming out of Louisville, Josh Allen out of Wyoming. People were in love with Josh Allen. Why did so many get this one wrong? Because we all know now Lamar Jackson was clearly the stud of that draft. Well, I think what happens is we tend to label players, right? We always want to label players. Lamar got labeled an athlete, not a quarterback, whereas Josh Allen got labeled a quarterback. You know, and now as you look at it, you know, Josh Allen averaged 3.2 yards a carry as a runner at Wyoming. He had two games where he threw over 300 yards in his entire career at Wyoming. I mean, when you go back and look at it, there is no comparison between the two players in terms of the production. Yet one was labeled a quarterback, the other one was labeled an athlete. And I think when you get into these labels, when we label players, you know, it becomes challenging. Uh, you know, Isaiah Simmons could be the next Derwin James, right? That's a label. Now, you got to be really careful because Isaiah Simmons may not be a box safety. You know, like people say, you know, you were talking in the last segment about the Giants taking him. Well, in the Giants grading system, he's a projection at safety. So that's a P. You get a letter for that, right? So how that grade can translate into becoming the fourth overall pick in the draft is a real challenge. Labeling players is really hard. Oh, he's just a he's a box safety or he's just this. And then all of a sudden, everybody in the organization looks at him through that label and doesn't give him a chance to expand. And I think it's really a dangerous thing we make. And we've all done it. I mean, all these are, you know, I'm not talking from an arrogant standpoint. I'm talking from a learning standpoint here. We've all made these mistakes and the false labels kill you 
Yeah, I remember I was out of ESPN at the time when that movie was happening. There was no one more talking about Lamar Jackson and what was going to happen. And I remember Bill Pullian was critical of him, just saying, listen, I don't think you know, he's going to be a star at the next level. And everyone kept saying, well, maybe he could be a good wide receiver. I remember the, the amount of conversation around, hey, Lamar can do a lot of things, check him out as a receiver. Like, literally nobody was saying, hey, picture him in the pocket, what a good quarterback he is. And yet, when you point out the numbers... Threw the ball, better accuracy, more games played, higher level of competition, more throws down the field. He had all of that against Josh Allen, but everybody just fell in love with the fact Josh Allen looked like the prototypical quarterback. And Jackson, it was tough to label, as you said. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens. I mean, and then when you just go back and look at it through really honest eyes, I mean, it's really no comparison. And I mean, you know, one of the commentators said that, you know, when they said, when someone asked the question, how do you justify these stats? And they said, well, stats are for losers. Well, yeah, I think there's a degree of that that's true. I think sometimes when you rely on stats too much, you can become in a losing environment. But the numbers don't lie. I mean, what Lamar did at Louisville was remarkable. And to think that a kid at Wyoming playing a level comp didn't, and yet he got picked seventh overall, and Lamar had to sit in the green room at 32? That's just really not understanding what's going on. All right, next point you made as far as mistakes teams can make with regard to the draft. This is a big one. Unrecognized simplicities, and you gave the specific example of Al Davis and Jamarcus Russell. You know, it is so true. I mean, look, I wasn't in the room. I get accused for drafting Jamarcus Russell, you know, by these Raider fans. That's, you know, I wasn't even in the room. I was down the street. But the one thing I tried to do with Lane Kiffin, you know, Lane knew I was going to get fired after the draft. So he, we didn't really have any relationship as much. But he's like, you got to help me. And Al refused to acknowledge the simplest of the information. It's the same thing, you know, that most teams do. They refuse to acknowledge, like, this fact. Like, you know, you refuse to acknowledge that Deshaun Watson was the best quarterback in the ACC and Mitchell Trubisky wasn't. You can't get away. It's unrecognized simplicities. It's a little bit like there was a bank in Paramount, California, which is a little suburb. It's not a suburb. It's in Los Angeles. It's near Crenshaw. And this bank was always robbed and they didn't know what to do. They spent all this money on technology. They spent all this money on security. They put a police officer inside the bank, the number one robbed bank in America. Right. And then it was some young intern said, hey, why don't we just park a police car in front of the bank? Maybe that'll stop the robbers. Next thing you know, no robbery. Unrecognized simplicities. Right. It's just like there's simple things that we have to understand. You know, and I love that Paramount Bank story, and I've told it before, because it's just so simple. And the draft is sometimes we try to not look at the simplicities of things. We try to make things way more complicated. Like, you know, Ozzie Newsome takes Terrell Suggs, and I remember this to this day. Terrell Suggs' 40-time was a disaster. But Ozzie kept saying the guy can rush the passer. Yet, which he could. He was great. He not always good at college. He was great at college. So we hang on the 40, and yet we overlook this thing. I mean, when I was in the 49ers, I flew to Memphis, Tennessee three times because we loved this kid, Tim Harris. We ended up drafting Charles Haley in the fourth round. I flew to Memphis three times to try to get Tim Harris to run a better 40 time because we would have picked him if we could have just got him to run a 4-9 or better. You know, but he kept running five flats, you know, and we just never felt like that was going to be enough. And yet, in reality, hell, he ended up being a really good player. We could have picked Tim Harris and Charles Haley. We would have been unbelievable. So these little simplicities, I think the teams just tend to really make a big mistake on. Number three, lack of self-honesty. And it's a great example you use in the article, which is the Jaguars. Since 2011, they've lost 10 or more games every year except 
the 2017 season when they lost the AFC Championship game, Saxonville, all the rest of it. Shad Khan as the owner. How come he hasn't changed things here? Because as you wrote, the Jags need an independent evaluation of their team. Their inability to make solid picks in the draft stems from their failure to evaluate their team correctly. David Caldwell, since taking over as a GM in 2013, a lot of misses in the first round. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and they refuse to acknowledge who they are as a football team. I mean, they they misevaluate their own team. And look, they just have a lack of self-honesty. And I think this showed up on Twitter this week. You know, what did you see the the Tony Khan? Oh. Did you see this going on? I was going to say, when your kid runs wild, that's never a good thing. When the owner's son is barking at the, one of the players in the team. I, I mean, how bad is that, right? Like, at some point, isn't somebody in the organization going to pull him back? You know, when he's sitting there talking about, well, you know, I'm really working hard on the draft. Well, I mean, have you looked at your draft since 2000? If there's ever an organization that needs someone to come in from the outside and tell them exactly what's wrong with them, it's the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, if this was any other business in the world, they'd be bankrupt. And how David Caldwell, I mean, it's a 30 for 30 documentary, how he's been able to keep his job since 13. But the biggest cause of Jacksonville's failure in the draft is the lack of self-honesty. I mean, Buffalo trades Patrick Mahomes to Kansas City because they have Tyrod Taylor. That's a lack of self-honesty. The next year, they have to pick Josh Allen. Cleveland trades Deshaun Watson to Houston because they want more draft picks. That's a lack of self-honesty. Now they have to pick Baker Mayfield the next year. So every time you're not honest with yourself, we all do it. We all do it. And when you got a guy like Tony Khan, who's, I mean, look, Tony's the owner's son. That's great. But that doesn't make him an expert on football. You know, somebody needs to ran him in. That makes your organization look really bad. What do you think Doug Marone did when he saw that on Twitter? Like, he had to be sitting there saying, like, we can't get out of our own way. You know, as Parcells would say, we're too stupid to win. (laughs) Definitely dysfunctional right now. The last mistake teams make, and this is a big one, impatience. Most teams fix it on one player, convincing themselves we need this guy. We cannot be successful next year if we don't cash out all our picks for this one player. This must happen a ton, right? Yeah, I mean, look, everybody's impatient, and I think that what you learn in the draft is don't trade up for anything other than a quarterback. There's always going to be another guy. There's so many stories of teams that weren't able to trade up. I mean, Connor Cook, the Cowboys tried to trade up to get Connor Cook in the fourth round, couldn't get him. They settled for Dak Prescott. They tried to trade up in the first round to get Paxton Lynch. They settled for Dak Prescott. I mean, at some point, you trade up for something. But, like, like if you're trading up for one of these receivers, how much do you want to bet, A.D.? that one of these receivers that are picked in the second round will be better than what we call the top three receivers in this year's draft. Nobody wants to make that bet because it's probably going to be true. So when you're trading up and you're trading away assets to get a guy that's probably just as good as everybody else, I think ultimately, you know, you're making a mistake. And that's just because of impatience. I mean, we did it all the time in, in Oakland because we Al was always impatient. I got to get my guy. I got to get my guy. And, you know, if his guy went, you know, all hell broke loose, you know. And so well, I remember in the third round, he wanted to pick a certain player. He kind of got outvoted for probably the only time we picked Kirk Morrison in the third round. And then he wanted this little kid from San Luis Obispo who was clearly, you know, everybody knew he was kind of a steroid guy. San Luis Obispo during this time was, do you remember when that they had that like kickboxing thing going on down there? I forget. It was like, it was something, there was a huge run of, of weightlifting things going on there and a ton of steroid guys coming out of that school. And, you know, he wanted to pick that guy, and he was impatient, and we kind of held him off one of the few times. But I think, to me, through my career, I think impatience is one of the worst things you can do in the draft. And trading up to get a guy, because there's no player in any draft that's make or break. Maybe the first or second or third pick, but that's about it. Yeah, 
right now as a country, we're impatient trying to get life back to normal. But you're right. You got to be patient. You got to be smart. And the draft tomorrow will be a telltale sign which team can resist that impulsivity and actually make the right move for the franchise. When we come back, Boomer Esiason fired back at Mike regarding our coverage of Tua Tungavaio's injury. So Mike will respond, plus uh, our latest on Homeland and how bad it's gotten. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning. I'm checking the betting odds. I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health. And DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning. It's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy. I'm sharper at work. I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed subscription service easily builds DSO-1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle code 25SHUFFLE. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning. I'm checking the betting odds. I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health. And DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning. It's an easy capsule. And that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy. I'm sharper at work. I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO-1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE. All right, before we get to Boomer and Mike, you had texted me. I wanted to discuss... Tony talking to Vin. That was episode 11. Nobody knows anything. When Tony talks to Vin McKazian, the great John Hurd, who tells him about Dr. Malfi and also tells him that Big Pussy is a rat. What did you want to say about this episode? 
Well, I mean, I feel like when Boomer was going off on me, I felt like, you know, they called me unhinged and all that, which I really wasn't. I just, I have a, a personality, you know, but that Raritan boat club when Tony's there, what do you call me for? And then, you know, Vin's like, can't you treat me nicer? Like, can't you treat me nicer? Like, and then Tony goes into, oh, Vin, I'm sorry. How you doing? You know, remember he does that, say, oh, how you doing? And then he tells him pussies around. Well, that, you know, a Boomer. I'm sorry. How you doing? You know, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't realize you were the protector of the HIPAA laws in America. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that that's your job is to protect those laws. And I would just urge you to maybe check back in with some other reporters, some you work with at CBS, when they go over the injury report, that that's a violation of HIPAA laws, according to you. And I think that the Becton kid who got tested positive for marijuana at the combine, that's a violation of the HIPAA laws as well. You need to go after them. I think if you're going to put your police siren on and start chasing the HIPAA law offenders, I'm here to help you because I'm here to help you. There's other reports out on that. I'm here to help you because I think through this, I learned that it's important for Boomer to protect HIPAA laws in America. And, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Here is the audio, courtesy of Boomer and Geo, WFAN Sports Radio, 660 AM, 101.9 FM. Here's Boomer Esiason and Geo talking about what Mike said previously on the GM Shuffle. Yes, everybody's worried and concerned about his injury history. Then all of a sudden, Mike decided to drop that he broke his wrist twice. Nobody had ever heard where that. So I'm, number one, I think, wherever he got that from, he, he violated confidentiality laws. Somebody told him something that they shouldn't have told him, or it was inaccurate and that he didn't break his wrist. And then the second thing that he did is he basically said that a number of teams have failed him on his physical. Well, then to me, that's also a violation, uh, you know, of, of confidentiality. And, you know, he may feel like it's important for him to tell everybody these things about these young men, but I find it to be kind of insulting that somebody is going out there behind the back of a player and trying to find out more about how many times he's been injured to tell people, us, his listeners, and anybody else who really gives a crap that uh, that he's been hurt more than he supposedly was. So I just think he can have whatever opinion he wants about a player. He can call a player brittle if he wants, which in this case he has done with Tua, but to start listing other injuries that we do not know about, that means he either has information that he shouldn't have and it was given to him by somebody, or it's not factual. All right, so like you said, Mike, Boomer's uh, clearly trying to be protective here of the kid, meaning Tua Tungavailoa, but how about Gio? Oh, I mean, come on, seriously, like really, he's like Bundy Brown, you know, you're the champ, you're the champ, you know, I'm going to protect my guy, I get it, you know, like Lombardi was unhinged, are you serious, unhinged? I don't think I've ever been called unhinged. I mean, I'm emotional. But if you thought I was unhinged, you should have just had me come on the show. We could have talked about it. You know, I would have been more than happy to come on your program and talk. I'm going to go on WFAN tomorrow on Evan and Joe's show. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about it on there. But the reality of it is, is like I was not discrediting this kid. And I know now that Boomer's job at WFAN is to protect the HIPAA laws in America. I didn't realize that at the time. And I think he needs to get diligent with this. I think he needs to come back in here and he needs to talk about this and tell teams that that injury report is not supposed to be out there, that that violates HIPAA laws. And when Jason LaCafour is on CBS today talking about who's injured and who might get traded and who got tested positive for something, that's a damn violation. And we got to correct this. Because I'm all for Boomer as the president of the HIPAA laws. I like the way you've come around here, Mike. I, you know, I've come to it. I've, I've taken on Tony's personality towards Vin. I'm sorry. You're right. 
And you know, the other thing for the record is my man, Gio, who's seriously, they never say, like, I corrected myself. I said it was a wrist. I corrected myself. It was a fifth metatarsal. I corrected myself twice. I've said it three times on podcast that he broke his fifth metatarsal the first day of spring ball, had it fixed and broke it again. Now, I apologize. That's a violation of HIPAA laws. I'll do time. I'm sure when the virus is over, I can go in and do my time so I don't catch it. I wonder if Boomer really understands HIPAA laws in America. I really is. That's just a great yeah. term to use. Well, <laughs> I look forward to your appearance tomorrow on the WFN. I hope that you get that point across because clearly this has been uh, an entertaining media spat for all of us. What has not been entertaining has been Homeland. What has been entertaining is you eviscerating that show on a weekly basis. You're all caught up is my understanding. Yeah, I watched it the other day. Millie and I watched it. It was, you know, I had to watch the Michael Jordan thing, which was fabulous, and I'm going to watch that again. So I'll miss the Homeland finale. Probably maybe I'll watch it. But, you know, like to me, there's so many details in that show. Like, for example, you didn't watch it. You know, Kerry comes back from Pakistan, flies in a private plane, naturally, you know, naturally she gets out. She has Frank Zambaka, the guy who played Frank Zambaka in The Wire. You remember The Wire season two? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, Frank Sabaka. I love that. Everybody hates season two. I love season two. I thought season two was great because I thought season two tied everything in in the wire. It was it was all linked together and it ended like it was to me. It was the perfect writing, but not everybody liked it. I did. But Frank Sabaka, that character plays Carrie's attorney in this one. So she gets out and she goes and she stays over at Saul's house. So Saul. So Carrie's there and, you know, Saul walks in the house and, you know, Carrie's she can't drink because she's nuts so he walks into the house and he likes walks over to the ice bucket and he starts taking ice out of the bucket and he pours himself a drink like and i'm sitting there saying to millie like millie like who put the ice in the bucket nobody's in the house who put like this is so unrealistic that they don't even look at that wouldn't somebody who watched that clip say like we're just going to let the viewer think that the ice showed up there and it never melted all day that is one hell of a of a vetty cooler right Am I right or wrong? I mean, like, seriously, how can they do that? It, it requires such a suspension of belief the way you're describing it that I can't understand anybody actually think this makes sense. It's not all just in Carrie's head at this point. Yeah, and then she has her court date. She's guilty on every single charge. Even, you know, like, we, she's guilty. Like, I'm sitting there listening to them read the charges, and I'm saying to Millie, guilty, 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 guilty. Like, you, she should get executed at this point right here. And then this is the best part. Then she's got a Russian agent who's trained to never give away secrets. He tells her everything like he's a teenage girl tattletailing on somebody else. I mean, it's like he just lets information just come out of him. But here's the best part of the whole show. So Saul has a Russian agent that's been working for him for over 30 years that the Russians suspect they know somebody, but they can't figure it out. My girl, Carrie, in less than 24 hours can figure it out. It's amazing. She can figure it out. She drives to somewhere in Pennsylvania. The guy's in a witness protection. He's being protected by Saul. She comes up with fake glasses like she's Clark Kent, comes in there, and he pretends he's going to call Saul and never does. Like, seriously? Like, I'm going to trust you more than the guy who's protected me for 30 freaking years? I mean, and you want me to buy this? And then she solves who the woman is. She solves the woman. From the smallest detail where there's ice in the bucket to the biggest detail, like at some point, no one's watching this shit to ask the question. No one. It's, it's, it's absolutely. And the only way it could end is she has to die. The only way. And the dumbest CIA agent, she also, oh, the other part, this woman who plays this other CIA agent who got all the guys killed, she might be the dumbest. She's going to quit the CIA, which they should hold a parade because she's the dumbest CIA agent ever. How she got in the CIA, I have no idea, right? 
Carrie keeps manipulating her into trusting her. Like at some point, you're a fool. As Michael Corleone said, they are insulting our intelligence. <laughs> and with that, we say, wash your hands. Follow us on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. We will have another new GM Shuffle coming up Friday morning, recapping the first round of the draft. And by the way, I just see here now the BigLead.com headline, Mike Lombardi and Boomer Esiason engage in heated back and forth argument over a Tua Tungabilo reporting by Liam McKeown. So yes, uh, Liam, thank you for reporting on this. And maybe you can report on now Mike's response to this because we're definitely having some fun with this. And, and good luck with your spot in the fan tomorrow, Mike. I'm sure it'll go great. Thanks. Talk soon. Back Friday recap on the first round. We'll talk to everybody then. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning. I'm checking the betting odds. I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health. And DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning. It's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy. I'm sharper at work. I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO-1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE.